Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. As we continue our series, which is quickly ending on Jesus as the cornerstone and the cornerstone of this church, we're going to be looking at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 again. Uh, Last week when we were talking, we studied this passage and we were seeking to flip evangelism on its head. I think that sometimes we isolate evangelism as a spiritual discipline on its own, and when we do that, funny things happen. Because we begin to overestimate our role in evangelism, and when we do that, fear of failing becomes debilitating. We're terrified that we're going to do something wrong, say something wrong, and and so when we isolate it, all kinds of bad things happen. Meanwhile, Scripture is trying to draw us into this dynamic story in which Jesus is king over all. He has all authority, and He is always present, and He is bringing us into His story of His mission and what He's doing. We're not salespeople. We're ambassadors. We go to announce a king. We we are called by Him to do these things in which He precedes us with His very power. And when we miss that, when we misunderstand that, all kinds of funny things begin to happen. Don't let evangelism have a life of its own, apart from Jesus. I didn't think I would have to tell myself that again and again in evangelism, but we do because we forget that it is connected to a king and a kingdom. So with that in mind, let's read just a portion of the Great Commission as we understand the how-tos of what the church is called to do. I'm in Matthew 28, looking at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I plead with you. Evangelism is such a funny thing in which we are called to tell people about your love, that you are tender-hearted, that you receive all our cares and our burdens, but then we turn around and tell ourselves that you are a hard master, And when we're fearful of evangelism, you're disappointed with us. I pray that the same gospel that you call us to share is the same gospel that we apply to our hearts and that we as a church would learn to do this together. That's a miracle. That's something only you can do. And so we ask your Spirit to attend to us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. What I love about this little passage is um, I get fired up about mission statements. I'm one of those guys that I like to strategize. I like to hear mission statements. I like when somebody has a 15-page statement with a table of contents and footnotes and scripture about how they're going to do this or that ministry. Jesus outlines the mission of the largest, most impactful, most cross-cultural organization in the world, the church, he spells out her mission in 27 Greek words. That's it. We have four commands here, the central being to make disciples, and the following three are subordinate that augment what it means to make a disciple. You do that by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. And so we're just going to look at each of these four in turn and understand what exactly are we supposed to be doing here. Now we got the church up and running. Now we're meeting here on Sunday morning. What are we supposed to do? And Jesus is going to unpack this in these four instructions. First of all, central to the Great Commission is to make disciples. That's what we're called to do. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, I want you to make converts. Because in today's terms, that's becoming a funny thing. 
We're talking about somebody who raises their hand or walks an aisle or prays a prayer and then goes about living life as usual. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about making disciples because that goes hand in hand with the fact that Jesus is king over all of our lives. Now, I do not want to knock another fellowship. I know that God in His great sovereign mercy can use anybody to reach anybody. I believe He can even use you and me to reach people with the Gospel. So I don't want to dismiss another fellowship. But Julie and I had the opportunity to attend a large church last year. And um, it just so happened that we walked in the same time as another woman. I noticed her in the parking lot. We all were kind of ushered to our seats and the service started. And that same woman who was sitting near us, and we noticed that, that after a gospel message, she responded to the altar call. In fact, hundreds of people responded to an altar call in a church of thousands. She went forward, uh, the lights came back on, we all left and were ushered back to our car. And I noticed that this same woman was walking to her car at the exact same time that we were. And I was scratching my head to think, is it possible for somebody to get parked get in a building, get saved, cross from death to life, be filled with the Spirit and be born again and make it back to their car in an hour flat? What are we talking about here? What is is really going on in an instance like this? I'm afraid that we are so busy counting converts that when we finally wake up and look around, we have no disciples to show for ourselves. If you've started reading this book on evangelism that we've given to you as members, you've seen Mark Dever's approach to a new convert. He calls it the hallelujah, we'll see response, right? Hallelujah, praise God, let's see what happens. Now what he's not saying, he's not giving this, uh, this convert an inferiority complex about earning their keep in the kingdom. He's simply reciting the parable of the soils. Praise God that the seed has been planted. Praise God that we see a little seed come up. Let us, let's pray that God will continue to do the work that he promises to do and that this Christian tree will bear Christian fruit. That's what we do when we're talking about making disciples. This is the dynamic story of evangelism, that Jesus wants to see people truly converted, truly born again, truly regenerated in Him, and then by one step forward and seven steps back, by fits and starts, one degree to another, to look more and more like His Son Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do when we make disciples. At CPC, we are not convert-making converts. We are disciple-making disciples because all of us want to be on this trajectory of looking more and more like Jesus. That's what we do. Well, how do we do that? How do we go about making these kind of disciples? Jesus tells us there's three things that you need to do. You need to go, and you need to baptize, and you need to teach. And I want us to look at each of those in turn. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go. Ultimately, Jesus has every nation in view. He's talking about every single ethnic group. Presently, depending on who's counting, there are 3,000 groups of people that are defined by language, culture, and geography who have no Christian presence in their midst. They do not know the gospel And presently, they do not have anybody who is going to tell them about the gospel unless somebody sends and somebody goes to present the gospel to them. 3,000 people groups. Let that sink into us for a minute here. Julie and I served in South Asia, and we know what it's like to minister to pastors who go into villages and bring up Jesus to somebody 
and that person say, I've never heard of that. What company is Jesus? No framework whatsoever for who Jesus is and what He's done. We know what it's like to get on a plane and fly over thousands upon thousands of villages where people will wake up and go to bed and never once hear about the Gospel. We know what it's like to be in downtown Columbia, South Carolina and to meet a Hindu refugee and sit down with him and explain the Gospel to him and him to respond by saying, wait a minute, are you telling me that Jesus will forgive the sins of poor people too? Even if we can't afford to bring sacrifices to him? This man is 32 years old and he has never once heard a free offer of salvation. The task is great. Oh, that Columbia Presbyterian Church would be a place that we raise up sacrificial senders and sacrificial goers to be a part of this great mission that all nations and all people groups among these 3,000 would hear the Gospel for the very first time. May the Lord do that in our midst. But honestly, we do not need to cross a culture to be a part of Jesus' ministry of going. All of us, every single person in this room who names Jesus is called to this ministry here in our own context. Where we live and where we work and where we play, we are to take part in this ministry of going. Now make no mistake in this. If we are really saying that Jesus has all authority, if we're really saying that He is everywhere and always present, then we can believe that He is orchestrating this world for His mission. That you and I, we work in the place where we work, We live in the place where we live. We have the hobbies and interests that we have because Jesus is letting us rub shoulders with people who don't know Him and He wants us to be a part of sharing that Gospel with them. Could that be true? Could Jesus really be one step ahead of us in this mission? When we go into our workplaces, we're thinking about how do I get Jesus into my workplace? How do I bring Him up and work? Meanwhile, Jesus has orchestrated this mission. He's brought you there as a part of His mission. And He's saying, this is what I'm doing. I've brought you into this workplace. Jesus is ahead of us in this mission. It's so endearing when somebody comes to me at CPC and says, okay, I'm ready to do ministry. Where are the non-believers? And I think to myself, I I didn't bring them with me. They're not in my trunk, if that's what you're asking. Um, They're back where you came from. They're, They're in your neighborhood. They're in your workplace. They're in the hobbies and the interests that you have. And if you aren't rubbing shoulders with them, find new and natural ways to do that. That's where we connect. That's where we reach people. For this reason, Columbia Presbyterian Church is very intentional about having very few programs. We don't want all of us to be so busy coming on campus to do things as a church together that we just don't have time in the neighborhood that we came from. It takes a lot of purposeful intentionality to not plan and program things for the church. We're always tempted to do that, right? We're always tempted to add something, bring something on, and we are very intentional to say we do not want to do that. I hope when you come to me and say, what's on the program for CPC this week? What's on our calendar? What are we up to this week? I can say, as far as I know, Brad and Tara, they're going to be working in their yard this week. Uh, Brian and Jeanette, they're going to have regular office hours. I heard something about Steph taking little Brucie on a walk this week. That's what our church is doing. And in each of those contexts, our people are praying, Lord, give me an opportunity. Let me meet a new person. Let me reconnect with an old person. Give me a chance to share something about what I heard on Sunday morning or what I read in my Bible this morning. Give me a small window to be a witness, to be salt and light in my neighborhood where you've already placed me. That is the mission. 
Now I know that if you're like me, when we, when we talk about this organic, unprogrammed approach to evangelism, intentionality leaks, right? We think this is great. I want to be in my neighborhood. I want to be in my workplace. I want to be doing all these things so that I can be an active witness. But it's very hard for me every single time I take my kids to the grocery store to be thinking about the Great Commission. It's very hard for me every time I'm hanging out in my neighborhood to be thinking about the Great Commission. When I'm downstairs in my office, it taps and somebody knocks on the door and wants to talk to me. And I say, I can't talk. I've got to write a sermon on evangelism. Don't bother me. Go away. It's hard to be intentional about this. That is why we need the church. That's why we're talking about this together. That's why we're reading a book together. That's why we're understanding this together. That's why we've put the Instagram pic of these two four-year-old boys pushing one another up a tree together. Because we want to understand what does it look like to spur one another along to do this. Intentionality leaks. We need one another to propel us forward to be missional in the places that God has given us. Okay, the third command is to baptize. We make disciples by going, and secondly, by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, Jonathan, and, uh, Jonathan Bailey and I had a very funny opportunity when we were uh, walking on Main Street. We met a person, started sharing the gospel with him, and the three of us were kind of walking along talking about Jesus, And a fourth person interrupted us, and I don't think he was very stable, but he said to us, he overheard us, and he said, okay, so you guys are religious. I defy you to prove from the mouth of Jesus, not from the Council of Nicaea, not from the Council of Chalcedon, but from Jesus' lips that he is part of the Trinity. And we said, okay. We opened up Matthew 28, and we said, here it is. Jesus is saying, I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he called us a false prophet and yelled at us. Um, But I was thinking, this is the first conversation on Main Street about the Council of Chalcedon that I've ever had before. This was just so bizarre. But Jesus is identifying himself and this baptismal formula as part of the Trinity. And anytime you see the Trinity in your Bible, you should circle the three persons. Because I just like to know where the triune God has a stake in what he's doing. Where all, all of his persons are present, doing and acting in something. And one of those places is baptism. Because baptism is signifying that people are really being regenerated in Christ. That that is the work that he's doing. And they are coming for baptism and they are administering it to their families. The Father is the one that is calling them. The Son is the the one that is sacrificing to pay the penalty of sin. And the Holy Spirit is the one that is sealing that salvation. All three persons of the Trinity are present And we celebrate that and we honor that when we baptize somebody in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A great commissioned church will practice baptism. We will baptize new believers and we will baptize the families of new believers. There may be seasons in this church as Columbia Prez where we are not seeing baptisms because we are sowing and sowing, but it's hard soil. And we're not seeing our friends and neighbors come to faith But let that be abnormal. Let the normal experience of this church be the normal experience of the church in Acts that this church will grow numerically through the conversion of people who don't now know Jesus and it will grow in Christ's likeness as we disciple. Evangelism and disciple growing in numbers and growing in Christ's likeness. Let that be the normal experience of Columbia Presbyterian Church. And then fourth and finally to teach. We make 
disciples by going and baptizing and teaching. But notice in verse 20, there is a very specific aim in the kind of teaching that Jesus is talking about. Did you see this? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's that's the kind of teaching that I want you to be doing. Jesus is reminding us that, that the disciples' walk is not just about information, but observation. That we study God's Word not just to be informed, but to be transformed, right? We're not pitting doctrine against application. We're saying both of these are crucial elements of being a disciple of Jesus. By way of doctrine, Jesus is saying, I want my disciples to know every single thing that I've commanded them. That's a lot. And not only is this the red letters of our red letter Bible, but throughout this entire series, we've seen that the Old Testament undergirds the story of the Messiah. You cannot truly understand who Jesus is and what He's done and what God is doing in the world unless you have a background in the Old Testament. And the rest of the New Testament unpacks what the Messiah has done. And that's why Ephesians chapter 2 says, Jesus is our cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets, that is the Old Testament and the New Testament, form the foundation upon which the church is built. Jesus wants us to be active students of His Word. He wants us to be a people of the book. A people who study and learn and grow. My prayer is that we would respond to the Father's call in Proverbs chapter 2, that we would receive these words, that we would treasure these commands, foster attentive ears and inclined hearts, seek and search for understanding like hidden treasure. Knowing doctrine well is hard, hard work. It doesn't come easy. There's a lot of material here to engage and to learn and to memorize and to study. And we are going to do this together as a church. We are going to learn everything that Jesus has commanded us. But then by way of application, Jesus says, I don't just want you to learn it. I want you to do it. I don't just want to measure you on your biblical IQ. I don't just want you to love me with your mind. I want you to love me with your heart and soul and strength too. After all, what does it profit a man if he can parse every single Greek word in Luke chapter 7, but he has the little love of Simon the Pharisee? That he, he believes that he's been forgiven of a little debt. What good is that? To have all that biblical knowledge and never have that touch a person's heart. What good is a disciple who can open their Bibles for this passage, and see from Genesis to Matthew God fulfilling His promise. That in Genesis 11, at the Tower of Babel, the nations were spread, and right away in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham appears on the scene, and God promises Abraham, I want to make you a blessing to all nations. These nations that just spread out across the world, I want you to be a blessing to them. And trace that story throughout the entire Old Testament until the very first word of the New Testament says that Jesus is the son of Abraham. And in Matthew 28, it says Jesus is fulfilling the promise to Abraham. I promised that there would be a blessing through Abraham to all nations. Here he is in Jesus. And here the church is going to take this message, a blessing to all the nations. Genesis to Revelation, it's one story. What good is a disciple who can crisscross their testaments and see that line go the entire way, and they have not given one dollar or said one prayer to see the Lord reach the 3,000 unreached people groups. 
What good is it to have this biblical knowledge if it does not touch our hearts and change the way that we live? Jesus is King and He is after citizens that revere and worship and honor the King. Oh, that would we be a church that learns doctrine well but applies it to our heart. That we are taught to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Friends, this is... This is the great story that Jesus is telling us. We've been in it all year together. Understanding who Jesus is. He is inviting us into this dynamic story. He has all power. He has all authority. He has gone before us into every single place. And He is inviting you and I to take up the mantle of this mission together. To make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching. And He will be with us in that always and even to the end of the age That is the great mission of this church together. May it be. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that You would marshal us to these things. Even as I say them, I'm nervous about them. I'm scared about what my role looks like and looking funny in front of my neighbor. But You are the Lord who calms all of our fears. You are the Lord with all power to make us your ambassadors. And so we pray and we plead this morning that we would be a great commission church, that we would be a people who are after fulfilling the mission that you've given us. And we ask this in your son's powerful name. Amen.